Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Ryan Casada. Ryan is an award-winning singer, songwriter, actor, performer, published writer, LGBTQ activist, and motivational speaker. Ryan has worked hard to advance his career, beginning at the age of 13. Learning that his love for music came at a young age, his mother encouraged him to follow his passion. His music helped him take him on a journey, learning about love and himself. Today, Ryan is working to help combat homelessness and equality for transgender people. Oh, and stay tuned after this episode. We are so excited to debut Ryan's new single, I Met Jesus at the Gay Pride Parade. But first, let's hear Ryan's story. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Everything's good. How are you guys? I'm doing great. It's uh, great to be with you on this uh, beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited for uh, us to sit down and chat. Ryan, we were talking earlier, and I'm trying to remember, how long have you been in LA now? I came here in December of 2016. And then growing up, you grew up on the East Coast, right? Yeah, I grew up on Long Island. And to those who haven't been, like, I mean, growing up in the Midwest, like, I used to think of Long Island as, as being, like, like a small island. And I remember when you guys first spoke, you're like, it's like a four-hour drive up and down, right? Like, it's pretty spread yeah, out. Yeah, it's a really, it's a big island. Um, I was on the South Shore, pretty much in the middle, in Suffolk County. Without traffic, it was, like, probably an hour drive into Manhattan when I was a child when there wasn't that much traffic. Now it's like two to three hour drive, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did did um did being on the coast like close to water did that affect you at all, or do you have any sort of um like sense of home with being by the, by water at all? Yeah, I definitely do, and I think that was something I realized. Like living in LA, it's like a thirty minute drive to the beach, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't see water every day unless I like go like seek it out, but. On Long Island, I, I lived on the water, and that's the case for a lot of people. And I I as a as a teenager and, and child, I would just we would just walk to the beach. Like it was two blocks away and we would just be on the beach. And that was you know, at any time we were like, Oh, you wanna go to the beach? Like it was just, you know, multiple times a day, whenever. So I, I definitely grew up with that. Like we had an inflatable sailboat. That my brother had, which we got stranded on once and shipwrecked. <laughs> my mom had to pick us up um, <laughs> behind the hospital <laughs> where we landed. Um, and we did message in a bottle, like all of that stuff. So, yeah, I definitely, like I grew up on the water and a lot of my tattoos are nautical themed too because of that. So I, I definitely feel home like around water. So Ryan, what would you say your family life was like growing up? We had a lot of fun. Uh, me and my brothers were just like always doing something like we were playing wiffle ball. We were playing matchbox cars. We were playing Barbie dolls. We were dressing up. We were we were just always having fun. And I was always with my my little brother, Frank. I was we were like just we were just very connected. We were always together like throughout growing up. Were you the middle child? Yeah, I'm the middle child. 
Did, two uh, brothers. Two brothers right in the middle there. Uh, that's Who was the one that was with you when you were, when you were sailing? Vin, my yeah. older brother. <laughs> and we went we went out there with um a pl- a Ziploc bag and we put like the cell phone that we had to call my mom and a pop tart. <laughs> and like we realized that like we weren't going to be able to turn around and go back because the wind was too strong. And it like probably hours passed. Like we were just floating down the Great South Bay into the Atlantic Ocean, and we started to like panic. And my brother was like, "Eat the pop tart," and then we, um, <laughs> yeah. And then we called we called my mom because we like the boat was like wrecked. We like landed behind the hospital, I think, and the boat was wrecked. And and then we called my mom, and we were like, "We can't go back. We're on the shore." Please help. <laughs> were, were you able to, the whole time you were out there, were you able to see the shore? Was there any time where you weren't able to see the shore? Or? I don't remember, honestly. I remember we went like under the bridge. I think it was the Robert Moses like state bridge. And we we went like under it. And there's like all these like gigantic boats compared to us. Like, you know, at least like 10 Times bigger than yeah. our, like, Gosh. you know, we could just barely fit on this little inflatable sailboat. Uh, Pretty wild. The, that totally sounds like a big brother antic. You know, like the big brother's like, come on, we're getting in the boat and let's go. So yeah. I could see that uh, happening. So I'm curious, how early did you get into music or how early did you start like understanding that you had uh, a gift for that you were musically inclined? Yeah. Well, I I honestly, I don't remember any part of my life without music. Hmm. When I was very, very little, I had a little like boom box with this like microphone and I would just like be singing into that all the time. Like it was like a cassette tape thing. So I, that was like b- under age five and I was like glued to that thing. It was my first injury too. the like microphone like hit me in the face. <laughs> And I still have a scar, I think. Um, and then all for the around craft. like age five, I was listening to like InSync, Shania Twain, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. And I would make my family like sit down on the couch and I would put on a show for them. Like I was really young and I would just be like, okay, like I'm doing a concert now. And then around age six, I started begging my parents, like, I need to play guitar. And I was just like, I just wouldn't stop. I wouldn't shut up about it. I was like, I need to play guitar. I, I have to play. I have to play. And my mom was like, okay. Like, and then <laughs> she got me lessons. And at first they were like, you're like way too small. You can't hold a guitar. And I was a really, really small kid. And a teacher from my school, my elementary school, ended up building this like small guitar for me so I could start learning. I'm just curious. You mentioned InSync and Shania Twain. When you decided you really wanted to start playing guitar, was there an artist or specifically someone that was drawing you into wanting to play the guitar? No. Um, my brother was playing guitar, sort of. Like, he played a little bit, but he just... he Basically, the guitar was just, like, sitting in the corner collecting dust. And I was just I would just be looking at the guitar, and I really wanted to play. And that guitar was way too big for me to, like be able to pick it up and stuff because I was I was a little kid. Um, so I just kept asking and asking and asking and, you know, persistence. <laughs> you start taking guitar lessons then. Yeah. And my mom was always listening to WBAB, which was like the classic rock station 
in that played in my hometown. So we were just constantly listening to Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, Led Zeppelin, like all of that. It was just constant all the time. So I grew up, I grew up with that. Sounds like your mom was uh, pretty supportive of you musically, right? So that you were, she helped you get guitar lessons and it sounds like she was supportive of your journey in music. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, she was very supportive. Like when I started, I, I like was a terrible singer when I started and I would be playing like the same thing over and over to try to like learn and stuff. And my brothers would be like, shut up. And my mom would be like, no, don't <laughs> shut up. Like, <laughs> so my mom was just like, no, keep going. <laughs> but I, you know, I had to learn. Oh, yeah, yeah you, for sure. Right, exactly. That sounds like a, uh, that sounds like a real supportive mom. So. <laughs> yeah, Did, very so encouraging. One of the things that I really enjoy about your music is your lyrics. We, as you're, you're learning guitar, when did the, the lyrics start coming to you? Was, was that something that developed over time? How, how did that start? Yeah, um, it's just like, I don't know. I never was like, oh, I'm going to write a song. And I've never, I've never been like that my whole life. Like it just like, it just happens. And that first song that I wrote, it just like, just randomly came to me. Um, hmm. And I didn't think that it was anything special. I, I, I literally thought that like everyone wrote songs and it was just like, cool. We, we just like, that just happens. You know, we just write songs. And I thought that was, I just thought like everyone did it. And then when I started playing piano, that's when I wrote my first song, which was wonderful, beautiful. And when I, I, my mom was like out, out of the house. And then when she came back in and I, I was playing the song, like, you know, like writing it, practicing, she was like, who wrote that? And I was like, me? And she was like, no, you didn't. Because she, like, didn't believe that, like, you know, this. I was 12 and I wrote this, like, song. And she was just like, what, you know, what's happening? But I didn't think anything of it. And I would, and I, and I wrote a lot, I wrote a lot of songs. And they would have, like, themes and, and all of this stuff. Like, I just thought that was, like, normal because it just, like, came to me. I didn't really feel like I was trying the only thing I was like trying to do was mm. like trying to sing in key, trying to play piano, trying to play guitar. Like learning guitar was not natural for me at all. Like it took a lot of work and lessons and learning. And sometimes I was like, I hate this. Like, but I really wanted to mm. play to be able to bring these songs to life. What, Ryan, what age were you when you wrote Wonderful Beautiful? I was 12 and then uh, my piano teacher <laughs> recorded it. For, we recorded it at his studio. That's a, a pretty amazing title, Wonderful Beautiful. What, do you know what the, like, it's, when you, was there something that inspired you to write that? That I wrote because I read some, like, book about vampires. It was like a love story. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't tell in the song that it's about that. But it's about, it was about these two characters in the book. Yeah. So <laughs> at the age of 12, you've, you've got this, you've got a piano teacher and you also had a guitar teacher? Or yes, the same I was taking, I, I took lessons from like, I've had many teachers throughout my life. Like throughout elementary school, I was taught by Frank Saladino. And then in middle school, I was taking lessons from 
Lou and he, he passed away when I was, I had, I think I was 13. I just turned 13 Hmm. and, or I was 12 actually. So it was, it was, it was hard for me. Like I was losing mentors and stuff, but like I had all of these people wanting to help me. And I, I also went to a summer music camp. Uh, this guy, Tony Greaves, he was like, yo, I need to teach you jazz chords because you could write songs, but like you could barely play guitar. And I was like, yeah, like, I feel that, like, let's do it. And I was just practicing nonstop learning. Like, I trusted, like, this is what I need to do to do this. And uh, my piano teacher was Dave from, he's in a band called Virgin Steel. And he is like a rock star. And I really, like, admired him. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll learn. I'll learn these scales. I'll do this. And and all of and you know, I just was like, I'll do whatever it takes. It sounds like you know p- these people just sort of like showed up in your life when you needed them. Do you think when you had sort of these mentors come into your life, is it they were drawn to your talent? Is that why you think that they sort of you know were attracted to you and wanted to like harness this gift that you have? I'm not really sure, but I think you know there's a lot of kids that take music <clears throat> lessons and they they really don't want to do it. And mm-hmm. that's pretty evident to their parents and to the teacher. Like their their parents are like forcing them to do it. But I was always like looking forward to it. And I was so mm. willing mm. to do it and practice and do whatever. And I think like that willingness, it just, it, it makes you a, a better student, you know, and yeah. it makes the teacher want to teach you. Yeah. That makes like that, ex- that excitedness is almost contagious. It's like they're grabbing onto that. Yeah. So at the age of, th- this is something I didn't know about you that, I found really interesting was at the age of 13, you had a sudden illness and you went deaf in your left ears. Is that right? Yeah. And, and, st- and, st- and still to this to this day, that that's that's something that, that, that never came back, right? The, the hearing in that, in that ear? Yeah, I'm still completely deaf. I've tried like everything and nothing ever worked. How did that affect you musically? Yeah, I mean, I thought that it I thought that it would affect me, but like it didn't really it didn't affect songwriting. It didn't affect like hearing keys and knowing tone and all of that. The only thing like musically that it affects is recording. Mm. And like the first couple records that I cut, they were they were like live in studio in a live room and we're like, you know, listening in headphones so that everything's isolated. And I can't hear half of my band because mm. they're in the left headphones. So like then they pan everything to the right. So now my whole band is like hearing the way I am only in the right ear. <laughs> so <laughs> there's like that. There's like problems with that recording wise. And then I I can't pan anything. So when I record, I can't like put some stuff in the left speaker and some in the right. So like everything's like mono for me and then all the songs that i've recorded that mix engineers have put in stereo Mm. like i'll never hear it that way so like i'll never hear i'll never hear my music the way other people hear my music Hmm. and that's that's interesting you know so the the last the record that i last made last um that came out last march the witches made me do it we recorded that in mono so that i have the same experience as everyone else mm. listening to it. That's interesting. So was that so that's the first and only album that you've done a mono then? Uh aside from like a acu- acoustic like two track records, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting this morning I was I was actually out on a walk and I was listening to um 
some stuff from back in the day in 2014. I think it was a uh, Chicago Midway, that album that you wrote. And, and mm-hmm. I'm just, as we're talking about the, the music and stuff like that, and when you wrote that, that song at the age of 12 with Wonderful Beautiful, is it part of your daily practice where you get up and there's a, is there a, a certain time of the day you just find that you write every day or does it throughout the week? Does it, does it go in stages just as someone who's a musician who's also a writer? No. So I don't, I'm, I never am like, okay, like it's time to write. Like I know people like <laughs> go to their normal writing session yeah. day and all like I read uh, Jeff Tweedy's book from Wilco and he like sits down to write every day and like forces stuff out. But like, I can't do that. Like nothing like comes out. Like as soon as I get an idea, I just write it down. And I used mm. to get like yelled at in high school. Cause I would be writing lyrics like in my textbooks because like if the lyrics were coming, they were coming. Like it's, you know, I'm not, I'm sorry, but like, I don't really care about science class right now. <laughs> I'm going to lose this song forever if I don't write it down right now. So <laughs> I would like be getting yelled at in school. And there was times where like I've split out on stuff. Like I felt like, oh, I'm, a, I'm about to write a song. Like I need to go. Sorry. Hmm. Like, you know, and I've like cut out on things because I have, I have like, it's, it's coming then, you know? And it's like, yeah. I don't, I, it's like, I don't get to decide when it comes. And so like, that's just how it's been for me. And, Like, whenever I go, like, if it's been a month and I haven't written a song, I, like, like, this has happened so many times. I'll call my mom and I'll be like, that's it. I'm done. There's there's no more songs. She's like, that's so ridiculous. (laughs) But, like, I really just don't know. So I'm like, that was the last good song I'll ever write. And I I, I just, because I don't know. Like, it's not guaranteed, but, like. I'm starting to learn that like it just it comes when it comes like it's it's you know I I don't really see like writer's block yeah. as really like a thing I guess cuz like yeah. it's just like like technically I'm always in writer's block until like inspiration strikes you know yeah. so I don't really like believe in that that term that much yes so liz gilbert talks about she wrote you pray love and she talks about in her ted talk about how how we go to creatives and we're like oh you got writer's block and her dad was a scientist and never said oh do you got scientist block or do you got coal miners block and, and honestly like, <laughs> we, we, even, we even think about it but you talked about being inspired so you're with your writing where do you get your inspiration just life obs- observations where, where does that come from i think i'm i'm very aware of everything that's going on around me and I like really tune into details of things and I also like listen to like what's going on around me so I I see that lyrics have come from like a lot of things that I've been through or things my friends have been through or I heard a story and I like put that in somehow change it up a little bit like I see it just coming from like everywhere and a lot about I think traveling so much like really has Mm. helped my music because I've seen a lot of different parts of the country and it's so the way everyone lives everywhere is so different. So Mm. there's a lot that like comes in from there. Like this song I just wrote this week that I'm, it probably won't come out for like a long time because there's just too much happening with music I have to release. It like combines like experiences that I went through on like in different years, but it put I put them all in the same night, so it's like crazy. <laughs> 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 but like I also used like this map to tell the story, and it's like places that I've 
driven. So mm. it's just, it just, it, so things like happen like that. Mm. Is it interesting? I, I know for myself sometimes with thoughts or with connections happen, it's almost like nothing gets wasted in my experiences. And it can be things from like years past. It's like, and they, sometimes it's like two years later where the needle gets threaded through mm-hmm. and you're kind of like, that didn't make sense at the time. And then it's like, oh, or sometimes it's even 10 years later. I think some of that maybe is just because I'm, I'm a little bit older now. And so I've have a little bit more time to look back and see things, how they, the universe and it's where it's like serendipitous moments or stuff like that. Yeah. How everything's connected. There was a time when I was traveling back and forth a lot and I, it was after I had gotten sober and I was flying in and out of Chicago midway. And so I was naturally drawn to your, your, your song. There's a lyric, a couple of lyrics in there. I just wanted to read that. And that was, you said, um, always face where you're headed on the train ride. Never look at what you left. Always look at where you're going and think that better just hasn't come yet. Yeah. And um, that, I was just like, wow, that is just so wise and yet so inspiring. And I remember taking the train from South Bend, Indiana to Midway and I didn't have a car at the time. My car had been repossessed. I was a mess. And um, (laughs) I just remember like looking like just there was something about the hope that Chicago brought to me at that time and just being able to look like to, 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 to be able to be possibly open to the fact to dream that things could get better. You know, I think we talk about inspiration. I also talk about like, like what brings you hope in life would be my next question. Yeah, I think what brings me hope is, I guess I, a lot of other people's music, a lot of people's ideas. I see, I see like there's, there's like a, I, I see a transformation happening right now in the way people think. Hmm. And I feel like things are getting more towards community and collectiveness and just people are starting to see that we are all intertwined. And I see it like on a low scale right now, but the more people that like bring this message forward of like, you know, we have to, we have to focus on community. Like, Mm -hmm the more it's going to spread. And I, I see hope in that. And I, I see, I see a lot of hope in that. And I see how bad things are right now, especially in LA. Like, you know, things got way worse during this whole pandemic with our homeless brothers, sisters, siblings sleeping on the street. Like I've never seen so many people homeless before um failed by the system failed by the powers and it's it's such a it's so strange to see like people are in their like high-rise towers in hollywood and then like you know 10 feet away from them there's people sleeping on the street and it's like i just i i see that and that makes me feel like oh man like one like there is actually enough resources. So how do we like get people to see that? But it's like, I have hope that there is enough, but it's just like, how do we get people to realize that? And I think that time is coming where things will shift. And I, I have hope in that, that things will shift and there will be enough for everyone. Cause there already is enough for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's just not equally put out. Over the last, especially, you know, few weeks really started to, see this sense of community really start to 
really rebuilds. I think, you know, part of this is, is that so many people, you know, over the last year or so have been in, you know, quarantine or isolation or limited contact with people. I know for myself, I've been on, you know, the the new social media app Clubhouse. I've been Mm -hmm. pretty active on there and listening to conversations that are happening. A lot of them would, I would say more LGBTQIA plus, you know, centered, but just within the community, people having conversations. Sometimes they're comfortable conversations. Sometimes they're uncomfortable. But it's like the idea of people really wanting to reconnect with one another, but also connect on a deeper level. And I think to your point, Mm. like talking about like the homelessness, right? So I don't know, like I grew up in a city, grew up living in a city and like homeless people, they've just always been there, right? And I don't, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that as, you know, whatever, it's just that's, what it was. You know, there's a, I grew up in Chicago and you get off the freeway and you drive under the bridge and there's homeless people that live Mm -hmm. under the bridge, right? That's just always sort of been the truth. And now it's more, you know, I think what's happening is like you said, people are waking up and it's like, okay, this doesn't have to be this way. There, there are ways to help these people. And I think you just recently I was reading in here in Los Angeles, there's a, a, a new community that is opening up that's made uh, for or is built for homeless people where they're, you know, smaller mm-hmm. houses, you know, those like 300 square foot houses, but it's shelter that gives them a place to a safe place to live. And I think if we all start seeing this collectively and we all start like understanding that we all can make a difference and also, you know, if we open our mouths and instead of being so self-centered, it's like, you know, opening our arms to everyone else out there. I think we're really going to start to see things change. So I, I really do think sort of, it's sort of been this like perfect storm of like things that have happened in the world and, you know, with new ways of people communicating and reconnecting and having really important, deeper conversations, I think is going to help, you know, move everything that you're talking about and I'm talking about forward. Ryan, I also, sometimes I I find that with people from the LGBTQI community, that there's a self-discovery process. Like for yourself, you came out, I believe it was at the age of 13 as bisexual. And then around the age of 14, you came out as trans? Yeah, I came out as bi when I was 12. And then trans, I just turned 14. Think about how time has changed so much. I know you you went on Larry King at the age of 15. You know, we, we and I have talked about how like now that there's a lot more trans figures, which is wonderful. But you're a 15-year-old kid who's revealing your truth, what you're discovering about yourself or what you had discovered about yourself, excuse me, you're in a, a unique situation by by what you've been through. And, and what I mean by that is not that you're trans, but just being um, starting a conversation that necessarily wasn't happening and being mm-hmm. brave enough to be like, almost to just continue on your path in life and being who you are. When you went on national television on Larry King, on the other side of that, was there some some wisdom or some things that, that you gained from that that you didn't have pr- before that that experience? I would say that that was the moment my life changed and mm. could never like go back. Um, like that was the moment where I, I became an adult. You know, when that show mm. aired, I was an adult. Now, like I had now, I have responsibilities. I've, I'm now 
a voice for this community that doesn't have many youth voices, like things shifted for me, like in the blink of an eye when that, when that aired and what I, what happened with that show was before I went on that show, like I didn't really know anyone my age. Like I knew people that were like a few years older than me that were trans, but I didn't know anyone my age and it was isolating. And like, it was hard to find people on the internet too. Like it, it was no community like it is now. People were in the closet. People were afraid. People weren't sharing on the internet like they do now. There was like six trans YouTubers in the entire country, you know, that were accessible. Like that's all I could find. There was, there was no resources. There was no way to find each other. And when I went on that show, I thought that, you know what, like, it was like a, a message in a bottle situation. It was like, I'm going on this show and I'm sending out my message in a bottle. I'm, I feel isolated. Like from this, I'm talking about the police song message in a bottle, mm -hmm. um, as, <laughs> as a, <laughs> a metaphor. And I, I, you know, I'm like, I go on this show and I'm throwing out this message in a bottle. And now like my, my only my first name is on the show. It just says Ryan, transgender, or whatever mm. it said. My last name's not even on the show. And mm. when that show aired, my P.O. box just exploded. People found me right away because there was like there's like barely anyone out. So you search Ryan, transgender, you find me yeah. real easily, mm. you know? And people were writing to me, I felt alone before I saw you. I never saw anyone else like me. Mm. I it was it was so mind blowing that there was all these other people. And it was like, I sent my message in a bottle out on international television at 15. Mm -hmm. And then they say it in that police song. Like they say like a bunch of bottles washed up on the shore. It seems I'm not alone in being alone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they say that in the song. And I was like, Whoa, yeah. Whoa, we're all, we all, we all feel alone. You know, we all feel alone, but we're actually not alone because mm. there's so many people that are going through this. There's so many people that are having this experience. And um, that show allowed me to connect with everyone. And that show gave me a purpose. Like I already knew my purpose, but that really like nailed it in. Like I was like, mm. okay, this is what I have to do. There is no big debate in my head. Like, should I, should I go on this show or not? I kind of felt like who else is going to do it, you know? Who's going to who's going to do it? Who's going to come out to their their family? Um I was out to my my immediate family, but I was not out to my extended family. I was not out to more than like 10 people, you know, mm. in my life outside of my family and and going on that show, I outed myself to the entire world at once, which is extremely overwhelming and during during the pandemic, the, the pandemic has been the first time that I've actually gotten to rest. I've been on tour since I was like 15 years old mm. and I've I've never rested. I've been traveling. I've been speaking. I've been doing everything. And now like my when my tour got canceled last year, I was like, what do I do with all this time? You know, mm. and I finally got a break and I started to finally I, I was I just turned 27 like. I was finally starting to process what I went mm. through as a teenager, how that show mm. transformed my life, how that show 
changed me. I didn't, I didn't, I did not have a teenage experience like other teenagers, you know, and everything shifted and it, it goes to this place where, you know, I was now I'm like a speaker for the community and people know my name and they know what I look like. And it's like, you have to be on 24 seven, you know, Mm. even when, if I'm in the diner with my friends, I can't be, I have to be careful of what I say and that things aren't being taken out of context Mm. and that I'm not being portrayed in this way. And that's like, that's a lot for a young teenager and I don't regret it at all like I don't regret going on TV like I did what I had to do what I felt like was right but it did alter my life in an extreme way and some of that it it it's a lot you know it's a lot for a young kid but I think uh I yeah I don't regret it I'm glad I did it but it did it did change everything for me yeah. I don't know if you've even had time, really time to think about this now, but looking back on this past year or so, do you think maybe that understanding like, well, maybe I need to build in breaks like this for myself? Do I think that now? Yeah. Like, yeah, I've definitely like realized how much self-care is so important. Mm. Like I've had an extreme amount of stress since I was really young. I was born with anxiety like I, I've been anxious like since I was born, I think. <laughs> and I need to like, I know I need to like, you know, take care of it. And some of that, like, some of that drives me, like some of that makes me write and makes me want to like, I got to get this album done. I got to, I got to release more albums. I have to do, you know, like some of it like drives me, but then some of it, I'm just like, oh man, like I just need to like go outside and read a book on a field, mm. you know, like. And I, but I try, like, my brain is still like, you know, reading this random book that has nothing to do with my life is productive because it could lead to lyrics. Like, my brain is still like, I'm working. Mm. So it's really hard for me to pause, but I haven't traveled in a year for my music or speaking. I've done like Zoom things, but the break, it, it, it's been, uh, it's been good in a way. Like I needed it. I've been on go nonstop. Hmm. Like I started flying around the country when I was like 16, you know, Hmm. I was like missing school to go speak at other schools, but it's just been 10 years of nonstop. And I'm just thinking right now, 10 years of nonstop. And uh, you had a song come out uh, during the pandemic called Steadfast Love. Mm -hmm. And the beginning of that song, um, I had to listen to it a couple of times. And you said, uh, I was a unhappy, seems like I might misquote this, sorry. Uh, I was an unha- unhappy child in a dress on the East Coast. And now I'm a man in seminary on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And that being said, are you back in school now? Yeah, I am in school. I, I've, had, I've, I've had a dream for a really long time to go... And, and study theology. And I, I, um, the pandemic actually made it possible because now school's online. And I obviously wanted to go to like a very LGBT friendly seminary, which I feel like I'm in the most LGBT friendly seminary in the entire country, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, I feel like 100% comfortable and respected. And there's a lot of trans people, there's a lot of queer people. It's amazing. And I, yeah, I mean, I, when I got sober in 
2014, I refound my faith Mm. in a higher power and I started to rediscover spirituality. And that's been like the thing that's kept me going. And I like, there is no like explanation for all this stuff that like happened in my life that connects and like has led me here and there and where and like amazing things have happened. And I think like the only explanation for it is God. And mm. I, I, I just wanted to dig deeper into that. And I also feel like uh seminary is what is, could help me become a better activist mm. and is what like one day Maybe I will become a pastor. Maybe I'll do some more ministry. But like, I feel like the things I've been doing in my life have been ministry related. Like people have told me that, which I never realized before. But, you know, my whole purpose in life has been to help other people, um, to not feel alone, to feel included, to find their authentic self, to live their truth. And all of that, just, I feel like, you know what, let me go to school and learn how to, to do this better. It's really helpful to have people that know us well, to be able to point out some things that have known us over the years, be like, oh, you know, Ryan, this has been who you've been over the years. And I, I've had friends in my life with siblings that have been like, Jeff, if you look back upon this, you were doing this, this, and this, you know, mm-hmm. or it's like, oh, it's, I think it's really important to have those people in our lives. I love lyrics. I, I find that like nature, uh, good good music such as yours uh, with, with lyrics that really touch my heart. You have another song that you wrote a, a while ago. It's called Sacred Grounds, I believe is the, name of, the title of the song. And mm-hmm. you, you 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 actually, in the latter part of the song, you name like friends and family, I, we can only assume, you know, that, that have been in your life. Yeah. And, um, and you, you say, so thank you because I'm more home and I'm more me when I'm with you. And it's so, and when you when I read that, I listened, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, that rings so true to me because the people that I choose to, you know, bring into my intimate circle in my life, they, they, they love me and they support me. It's like when Anthony and I got married, we stood in front of people that are her friends and family and they help us hold accountable in our, in our marriage, right? That's why I think LGBT, that's why I think mm-hmm. marriage is important for all people. And we, as we encourage people mm-hmm. to, to, to be the best that they can be. And so the point is, is it like, so my, my, my brother, my sister, my friend, my husband, you know, you, we can get like, when I start to kind of veer off, like, that's not who you are. Like, that's, that's, that's not, you know, and, and that reminds me because sometimes I, sometimes I, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of information and I can get distracted. I can be like, I can kind of lose like who I am in that process. And then to be able to go back, uh, whether it's going to seminary or, you know, something to be able to then, okay, get back on the track and then continue on to my next thing. And, and what I really wanted to bring up the Larry King thing. And then also back to the homelessness we were talking about earlier. Um, and about being a pastor, even mm-hmm. that you just mentioned, it's. I think there's something when 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 we when, when there's some sort of truth that wants to come out of us, and and it, and it happens every day. There's like the small little things, but every now and then there's a, there's a big life moment where it's whether you're coming out or you're you're saying you know to a bully in school, you're like little the kid in the classroom that says no, we're not going to treat that person that way. Or if you're in clubhouse, like Anthony says, and somebody starts to attack another person, like that one voice that speaks wisdom and says no, we're not going to do that, like. That mm. and what you said about the, the the homeless stuff, it's like this is a human problem, right? Mm-hmm. This homelessness, this is a human problem that not just we, we need to come at this together mm. to figure out like yeah. how we gonna and, and so I think when 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 the more I continue to step into truth, the more like the universe could just say, Oh, hey, now we need to talk about this now. This is the next mm-hmm. thing we need you to shine some light on. 
and I would just encourage anyone who's like maybe young who's like, wow, like you went on Larry King and you somebody, you know, I'm, especially I know a lot of young trans people that you really inspire, uh, and, and parents of trans trans kids with with your mother as well too. That sometimes it's just like let's see these little stepping stones because we've all when you see somebody else's life, you don't get to know like sometimes where like. Like, let's just like give a good example. You came to LA, uh, Red One, who was Lady Gaga, who discovered Lady Gaga or was her first manager. You had a, a contract with Red One, right? Or it brought out to. Yeah, almost. There was some, <laughs> yeah, there, sorry. There, there was a. There was a there was, there, there, there was, <laughs> I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but uh, I'll let you tell that story. Um, just because I think it's important people to know that it's not, things are not always as they seem. I came out to LA because I was offered a, a deal that I thought was going to like put me on the radio and and be like mainstream and all of that. And what ended up happening is I came out here, I got dropped like a couple weeks after being here and I I had like no plan. And I was like, you know what? Like this got me to LA. I'm going to stay here Mm. and I'm going to see what happens. And a month later I got signed to my acting agents at Zephyr who I'm still with today. They're amazing. And which it's led me to, it's just led me to great things. I mean, I got to be in Two Eyes, which is a movie that's uh, was the closing film at Outfest, and it's coming out soon. And I get I got to work with Kate Bornstein on that, and it's you know I've had so many magical adventures happen because I took that leap, you know, and I was like, I'm going to come out here. And then when it seemed like everything like fell, I was like, I'm just going to stay and see. Mm you know, see what happens. Yeah. It, you know, we, you can't always connect, you know, point A to point B, right? The, just not how life works. And it's, I know for myself, there have been times where things have happened where there's been this like, this amazing opportunity or presents itself that it's this amazing thing to do. And you, you follow that. And then you start working through that or you get into it and it isn't as amazing as you think it is. And instead of quitting, giving up and, you know, going backwards, it's just about going forward and how you Mm -hmm. can, you know, keep, keep the ball rolling. I mean, just an example to let, you know, even the audience know we, Originally, when we started this project with Talk Out Loud, this wasn't supposed to be a podcast. It was supposed to be a live event series. And mm. because of the pandemic, we had to pivot and move it. Yeah. You know, We didn't want to just not do it. We still wanted people's voices to be heard. We still wanted to tell people within the community stories. So we just pivoted. And, you know, it's... It's not what we thought. It's not what we, you know, envisioned. That doesn't mean that it'll never happen that way. But it was, you know, it's where we started. But the the important thing is, is that if you don't try or if you don't follow sort of the, those um, clues or those steps or, you know, take those, you know, risks or, you know, make that leap, nothing is ever going to change and nothing's ever going to happen and you'll just keep doing what you're doing. So it's yeah one of those things when something presents itself, an opportunity, you know, it's, it's one of those things I know, at least for myself, it's like, examine it, look at it. And if it seems like it's the right thing to do, go for it. And however it turns out, you know, you don't, we don't have the roadmap to our own lives. You know, we just kind of got to keep going. You got to keep trudging through it and, you know, blessings will come and lessons will come. And, you know, the lessons yeah. may be those hard times, but you need those lessons then when you're rolling in the good times. And I feel like, you know, being coming out here, those, the managers of Red One, 
connected me with some people to record mm. after they dropped me. And then those people connected me with other people. Yeah. And that, which led me to recording Daughter, which is recorded the way it was, you know? And, and I think the production like really mattered the way that the song was produced really mattered for, for the song, like whatever, you know, some, like some magic happened. And like, I didn't think that song was going to like pop off in any way. Like I had no idea, you know? And it's amazing that it's like, it's every day still I hear from people about it. Yeah. It's been like three years. You know, part of that too is thinking about how with people, you know, just thinking about your, how that, like that chain works, right? Is that sometimes I think we're, we're taught or, you know, maybe we're felt that like we, we, as a me, I have to do everything on my own that I like, if I, I've got to work hard, I got to do this, I got to do that. And, you know, you said something there, I think is just a reminder to people. It's like, it's not about what I can do. It's about what we can do. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like all of those people that helped, you know, it was like they connected the dots. And part of it is, and I think this goes back to, you know, wh- what we were talking about earlier is that you, a long time ago, you stood in your truth. You are who you are. You you uh, are able to, you know, engage with people and people understand like, this is who you are. This is who I am. You just, you live your truth as, as a human being. And when people see that, I, I think that there's something that happens where then, you know, this happened to you your whole life. Like people just want to help you. They see who you are. They see your gift, your talent, and they're able to, you know, help you through. We don't have to do this alone. This goes back to this whole, like homeless, you know, conversation. It's like not one person can solve this. We have to come together yeah. collectively to work through mm-hmm. this, to, you know, to move through this. And, you know, because other people helped you connect the dots, you were able to write that song that is then now influenced and helped like that reach. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's just the actions of multiple people coming together to work together really can make a large impact on other people all across the world. And I think yeah. it's just important to remember that because our actions, you know, sometimes you hear people like, what, what can I do? I'm just one person. I can't do anything. And it's like, yes, you can. That's not necessarily true. It's true. It's like, it's, it's crazy how, how things just come to be. And if you share a little bit about yourself, some people will step in and, and help you out with what you're trying to do, which has been like, my entire life, like I'm Mm. very, very shy of a person. And when I started, I was like afraid to like ask for stuff, you know? Um, But people like always showed up for me, even in my like hometown, like in our music scene, everything was pay to play. Like you had to sell all these tickets. And if you Mm. didn't sell enough tickets, you weren't invited back to play again. And like, there's this guy, Dob, and he, Every time I would play, like, I didn't have enough people because I was just one person selling all the tickets. And, and you know, the other people had, like, five people in their band selling the tickets, you know? And mm. I didn't I didn't have that. I was just me. And I would, like, never sell enough tickets in the beginning. And he, he was just like, it's okay. Just try next time. Just try next time. And he kept inviting me to play. And, mm. like, he, like, he obviously believed in, you know, something. And he liked what I was bringing to the music scene. Um, so he kept inviting me, even though I could never like fulfill that. And like, then, you know, way down the line, I was able to, 
and I was able to start selling things out, but it's like that, that wasn't possible in mm. the beginning, you know? And it's like, just some people just are, uh, just give a chance and yeah. it, it, it goes a long way. Yeah. I think, you know, that's almost like a universal lesson in anything, you know, uh, work related, right? So I'm thinking like even in my career when I started, you know, in events, there were people who I had who I can look back who were mentors, right? Who they helped, you know, when I didn't know what to do or how to approach something or how to move through something that they were the ones who saw something in me, you know, a passion, uh, uh, a talent, a gift, whatever it is, but they were able to help, you know, lift me up. And I think that it's one of those things where it's like there were people, you know, when people do that for you, right? So you're moving through life and people are able to help you move through and and get to where you are supposed to be. You've got to then go back and make sure that you're lifting up that next generation and bringing them forward because that's how, you know, progress just continues. True. I have a loud purring cat Sorry. <laughs> 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 happening right now. It's all right. Just got here. He's also a miracle of uh, my LA experience. How so is that? He, do you hear him? He's so loud. When I was like trying to figure everything out when I got here in LA and I stayed, I I was taking some weird jobs. So one of them was like cleaning houses. And then another one, I was watching animals with this company. It was terrible, like this company. Like, but there's this client that I kept going to, and they had this cat and dog. So for like three years, I watched them. And then I was always like, oh, I love these. I love them. To like, I would tell my mom, like, oh, I'm going there. I love them. And then um, in the summer, the that couple had a baby and I ended up getting the cat because the baby's allergic to the cat. So like mm. I have this cat that like I've known for three years and I just got him in the summer. But like this cat like wouldn't come out for anyone but me. He mm. He's like afraid of everything. And then so they were like, Ryan, do you want this cat? I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. I've been wanting this cat for like three years. So <laughs> cool. <laughs> it was crazy how stuff happens. But yeah, he's still here. So yeah. He's yeah, my you, cat. Uh, that's your cat. <laughs> I grew up in a, in a pretty uh, religious home. And, and and actually, I was captivated at a young age. Talk about a little bit of theology here. By the miracles in the Bible. I would, lo- I would love Sunday mornings going to Sunday school because we get to hear all these stories mm. where miracles took place. And then I remember like at some age, like I would like, I'd go back to, you know, whatever, go back to the week on Monday. And I would be like, oh, I want to hear another story about a miracle. And then my heart was kind of saddened when I was like, oh, I wish I lived in a time when miracles took place. Mm. Or magic took place. And my dad would read me books about these magical things. And, mm. um, and you know, and the older I've gotten, not the older I've gotten, but the more that I've been able to like get quiet and, and surround myself with, or just maybe be open. Maybe it's just being open to seeing them. It's like, ma- like I experience magic and miracles still today, which that has really helped me with also like with religion and spirituality. And I know Anthony and I are both curious though. You know, now that you're, you're studying theology, is that, because I think you've always been, no one, I, I think I, we've observed you've always been a spiritual, we, we're all spirits, right? Like it's kind of even silly to say that you're a spiritual being, we're all spirits. But with being in theology classes now, has that affected um, your writing, your lyrics anyway yet? 
Yeah, it definitely it definitely has. It's definitely seeping into songs, but like just being open about my spirituality. Like I feel like my lyrics have been spiritual like throughout my whole career and I've always just like said what I felt, but like I think yeah, I mean, what I'm learning, I'm learning so much. Like my mind is already blown. Like I've read over like 700 pages in like 3 weeks. Like I'm learning so mm. much and I already feel like I'm you know, I'm becoming more community oriented than I was and I'm becoming like a better activist and I'm, I'm learning and I'm get, I'm learning the words and all of that. And so, yeah, I'm sure like this is all going to go into it all. No, looking back upon like some of the stuff like in the Christian tradition, a lot of times like more so like in, when, when Jesus was, was walking the earth, it was him walking around and being like, you have these rules and these things and it's like, no, this is, this is, this is not serving. Like, and so sometimes like the, the magic of the miracle has been like breaking rules that are no longer serving things. Or, you know, like I have these, these natural God given gifts that like, maybe it's like writing songs like you, you do, but it becomes a defect when like, I'm not taking care of myself. Right. Like if I'm, am I leaning into it? And the same thing with these rules that we create, it's like, okay, like people came together and they said, we're going to do this and this, this way. But sometimes they feel like our system, when we, don't allow conversations to happen to being like, Oh, like we're just not going to talk about the homelessness. We're going to live in the tower. We're going to go, we're going to get out of the high rise. We're going to walk out. And we're just going to keep our eyes above. Yeah. I'm guilty of it. Like when I'm in my car, you know, at a stop sign and maybe I don't have money on me and I feel uncomfortable. So I don't even acknowledge the person. So what I try and do is at least just to, to acknowledge the person and say like, you know, hello. Mm-hmm. But part of it is like me. It's like, oh, so much like, I don't want to look at it because it's like, if you look at it, then you can't acknowledge that it's in a problem. And I feel like also with, that's why it's so important for LGBTQI stories to be told because I know like with family members in the past that maybe like didn't want to accept like my sexuality. It's like they had to, to, to deny me completely because if they started to see the humanness in me, it would crack a hole through the wall that they had mm. built up. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, a, a new song that's coming out called I Met Jesus at a Pride Parade, which let's just talk about that title for a minute. How'd that come to you? Yeah. Um. I... This song just, it, it just like really just came to me. Like I, it happened, I wrote it after the, what happened at the Capitol. So mm. it came from there, but so there's one verse about what happened at the Capitol there. And like, but it's just interesting. It's cause like these people claim to be Christians, but they're not actually practicing what mm. Jesus Christ practiced, which is like inclusion and welcoming everyone at the table. And I just see, like, I just saw that and it's just like, like he he wouldn't want it, all this hate and all this being divided and yeah there is there is a verse in there about the homeless situation where I'm I'm saying where I'm walking with Jesus and he's calling me out for looking the other way when I, we pass a homeless person and it's like we are we we do feel uncomfortable you know we we do feel uncomfortable and we're like or like, what could we do? Or, or there's like fear, you know? And we don't really, like, we need a solution for that. And it's it can't be ignored and it does take everyone. It does take everyone, like you're saying. It, it is a collective thing. The first verse is about being at a pride parade. And I, I remember, I think I was like, must have been a teenager and... I was playing at uh, Charlotte Pride in North Carolina and there was these people there that were like the anti-Pride people mm. and they were there with like Bibles and like yelling Bible verses and saying, God hates you. And I was just like, 
this is like, you know, I remember that stuck out of my mind. And I was just like, this is not what religion should be about at all. It's not what, that's not spiritual. Like, how is that spiritual telling someone else how to, how to be, or it's telling someone that their life like doesn't matter. Like that's mm. not spiritual at all. So that song like came from, from that experience, from seeing so many homeless people and no one's not enough people are doing anything. I mean, a lot of people are doing things, but not enough are doing mm. things. And, and what happened at the Capitol, like it's, it's, it's crazy. It's sad. It's like, we could do so much better. And that song is calling people to do better. And my hope for it was that one, it could be like healing for the queer community mm. to be like, here's this queer friendly song about Christianity. And then two, like maybe that like person that's saying they're Christian and they're a bigot and they're, they're hating on people. Maybe they'll hear it and it will be a wake up call to stop acting like that. So those are like the two things that I had in mind, but like, you know, I, I don't know, but a lot of people have heard it on YouTube and are happy that I'm speaking up about it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a hard, it's a hard topic for a lot of people. Yeah. it It's, a, I mean, it definitely is a hard topic and it's, it's not something that's just going to go away, you know, magically one day it's going to take, it's a lot of time because we've been dealing it with, you know, we've been dealing with it for a long time, but you know, as you were working through some of that, it just, it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on, you know, visibility and, you know, going back to that Larry King show is like you being on television and, and having, using that platform to show other people that, this is who I am. We're here, mm-hmm. um, and you, it, it's just so important that LGBTQI people are in the media and out front in people because out front in, in front of people. And like Jeff was saying, just being able to hear our stories, you can't. You can argue if you want. You can argue with someone, and you know, like these people, like they're arguing, like you're going to hell because you're gay or you're going to hell because you're, you know, bi or whatever it is, but they can't argue with a person and a person's experience. And that's why it's, you know, through like you writing your songs or for us, you know, having these conversations with people within the community, the one thing that people can't do is they can't argue with someone's experience, someone's story on a human level, forget all of the, you know, labels Mm -hmm. that we put on each other, right? Yeah, and hopefully that brings empathy and yeah. makes them want to, you know, support, stand in solidarity. Uh, it's a beautiful song. I really look forward to to being able to share it with other people. There's a, a line from, uh, you're welcome. There's a line from uh, Richard Rohr, uh, this beautiful Franciscan friar, and he said that we made Jesus an exclusive savior instead of an inclusive savior. Mm. And, uh, and I, you know, and I have to remind myself, like, I can't draw, like, like we, we specifically tell stories from the LGBTQIA community here, but that I can't, that that's not just my life. Like, my life is, it needs to include everyone. Like, mm. I, I can't start, be, if I start becoming dualistic, I'm just, becoming part of the problem as well too. And so the, I like that you use the word empathy and, and just the, the the way that your music invites other people, invites all of us. And also the fact that in some ways it's allowed for some of the people in the queer community who feel invited to come back into to the church or to, to, you know, to theology or to religion or whatever, spirituality, whatever you choose to call it. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, of course. 
Well, Ryan, it's been so great talking with you today. Congratulations um, on your new song and uh, on school. And uh, we look forward to being able to to share it with with some of our listeners here today. Yeah, thank you so much. And here it is, Ryan's new single, I Met Jesus at the Gay Pride Parade. I met Jesus at the gay pride parade He was praying for us to be free A man with the Bible yelled hatefully And Jesus countered by taking a knee He said there are people just like you And God loves them living out their truth There are people just like you And they deserve to live just as much as you And they deserve to love just as much as you I met Jesus on Sunset Boulevard On a sidewalk of tents and poverty He said, young brother, why'd you look the other way Away from the people Starving and need to eat. There are people just like you, and they have dreams and struggles just like you do. And I love them how I love you, and they deserve to be here just as much as you, and they deserve to eat just as much as you. They deserve to be here just as much as you I met Jesus at our nation's capital He was wiping tears from his eyes He never wanted no war and hate So he cried like I cried At the racists who divide Using his name to justify their listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. 
If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. On our website, you can also catch up on past episodes, learn more about our past guests, and browse their profiles. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store and browse our online bookstore curated with our guests' recommended books. Thanks again for listening, and remember, be true, be you, and to talk out loud.